It's Monday, April 29th. Welcome to Market Foolery. I'm Chris Hill. Joining me in studio today, the one and only Abby Mallon. Thanks for being here. Thanks for having me. We've got earnings. We're going to get a sneak preview of Alphabet, which is reporting after the closing bell. We got to start though with the house that the mouse built. Uh, shares of the Walt Disney Company opened this morning at an all-time high. Probably not a surprise. It's down a little bit now, but probably not a surprise it had that strong open because Avengers Endgame broke just about every box office record under the sun over the weekend. $1.2 billion globally. I don't know about you. I went and saw it. I contributed to that. Um, I didn't. I thought it was going to have a great weekend. I didn't think it was going to be this great. Um, I didn't see it, but I am not surprised by these numbers. So, when we look at a number like this, I think it is tempting to just think, "Oh my gosh, this this is amazing." But the context for investors when it comes to Disney and movies is always. Looking at the studios part of the business, which is it's not the biggest part of the business by a long shot. Right, right. It's all the little third-party synergies that you get from having these amazing characters. So that's the thing I wanted to get to. Was look, go back to August two thousand nine. Disney buys Marvel for four, four billion billion dollars. Let's say that again. They bought Marvel for four billion dollars, and. Now, I'm wondering, how big has the ripple effect been? Because it seems like, for people who... And I've gotten a little bit of this on Twitter, because I tweeted something about you know, what a great weekend it was, and a couple of people came back at me and were like, well, you know, the studio's business, it's not that big. And it's like, yeah, but they also... This is something that feeds not only into consumer products, licensing deals, t-shirts, toys, etc., but it, it's got to help with the launch of Disney+, Plus, doesn't it? Definitely. I mean, I think it just shows Disney's dominance in that um, in that space, right? Even that's not just kids driving that 1.2 billion dollars worldwide. That's, no, my kids didn't pay for the tickets. Right, right. That's everyone, <laughs> right? So that's um, future visits to Disneyland. That's T-shirts. That's toys. That's games. That's. Um, I mean, that's going to be huge. That's really going to be huge for them. Um, so I went back and uh, looked at a couple of things that the Motley Fool was writing at the time of that acquisition, and I was remi- mainly asking, was it too much? Um, there was a little bit of that, and I think that's I think that's a fair question. I think that's a natural question anytime there's for an the acquisition, time. right? Right. But but any any acquisition, any industry, I think it's fair to be like, okay, was this a good price? Right. There was not a lot of that I was able to find. There was not a lot of people saying that's outrageous that they're paying right. that much. Um, what I was reminded of, though, was part of the case for acquiring Marvel was boys. I was reminded of the fact that they wanted to reach that younger boy demographic. Yeah, of just how dependent Disney was on princesses mm-hmm. um, to drive their films and to drive the parks experience, um, and obviously the the decision to acquire Marvel on top of the decision to uh, acquire Pixar uh, has just been amazing. Yeah. I mean, I think also when you think about sort of a broader competitive landscape perspective, Disney really has three key competitive advantages. So, it's this brand, the IP, the characters, things like that, that can be utilized throughout all aspects of the business. But it's also their above average profitability and their low risk balance sheet. So, I think... um, one of the key points that this really demonstrates is, you know, I think for a long time we've seen really cheap money. So you've seen a lot of um, competitors 
do well and thrive in the face of Disney or keep up with Disney. But as debt becomes more expensive and it becomes harder for competitors to actually finance those projects, you see Disney where they can continue to do this. There's no reason that this is going to stop for Disney just because of a change in sort of the economic interest rate structure. So I think um, it doesn't just show that Disney's good at it, but it really um, solidifies sort of a dominance in that space for them. Bob Iger is the CEO at Disney. He's obviously a well-known, I would argue, one of the better-known CEOs, in part because it's Disney, in part because of the amazing job he's done. Uh, Far less well-known, I would argue, is Kevin Feige, who is the president of Marvel Studios and has been for about a dozen years or so. And when you think about what has been accomplished under his leadership, I, and I say this as a Disney shareholder, let Kevin Feige do whatever he wants. I mean, maybe he already is doing whatever he <laughs> wants, but that's a track. I mean, right, right. That's an incredible track record he has amassed. Right, and, amazing. And God help whoever is the next CEO at Disney, because the the they got to make magic happen. The, <laughs> the foot the. The shoes, that's what I meant to say, the shoes that Bob Iger is leaving when you look at the acquisitions of Pixar, Star Wars, Marvel. Oh, it's All right, let's move on to some earnings. Um, Spotify has hit 100 million paying subscribers. That's probably the highlight of their first quarter report. I mean, their revenue is growing, but their losses are also growing. Yeah, I mean, that number is up 32% year over year, which is huge. Um, and it's also about two times as large as the latest figures given for Apple Music. So, again, huge. Um, total monthly users, so that includes people who don't pay but have ad supported service, reached 217 million. Um, and I think, you know, that's that's pretty astonishing when you think about the growth and the competitive landscape of this industry as well. So, so when are they going to be profitable? I mean, it's not like they lost a ton of money, right. but they've got 100 million paying subscribers. Is is there a pathway to profitability that is short? Like, yeah, I, I mean, I it's, think it's I haven't talked to anyone who uses Spotify who isn't happy with it. Right. But I'm wondering, uh, as someone who at what time, at what point do they turn on the money machine? Right. I think it's about conversion. So going from an ad-supported free user to sort of a discounted trial period to then paying full price, that really brings out the customer lifetime value. And I think um, you know they're still in a land grab in a land grab mode, so those prices maybe aren't reflective of um, the most profitable or the most revenue generating that Spotify could be when they sort of have that dominance. But I think they're still in a land grab space, so they're not necessarily trying to um, pump the volume. But I do think, you know, that conversion rate and how how quickly you can turn customers from free to paying full price will really be impactful for that tipping point. As an analyst, is this an industry that interests you at all when you consider Pandora, Apple Music? Obviously, it's a small part of Apple, right. but is this something that you look at and think, oh, yeah, shareholders can make money in this industry? I do. I think it's something to watch for economics, not just for this industry, but sort of the whole um, integration from the artists, the concerts. The music streaming, the ticket sales, everything. I think there's sort of a balance of power, and maybe a, um, who holds that pricing power is shifting. So I think it's definitely interesting, something to watch. Um, I don't know that 100 million is necessarily 
it's kind of an arbitrary number, the same way we think like fiscal year ending in December is sort of an arbitrary time. It's not necessarily indicative of like a change in thesis for me, I would say, but I do think it's interesting to watch just the pace at which it's happened. Yeah, I guess I'm just surprised that they're still not profitable when they have that many. Right. It's one thing to be like, oh, we're building our we're building our paying subscriber base. Yes, we still have the ad supported. I mean, that's been the story with Spotify for a while. I, I I just sort of look at that and go, that's a big number. That's an awful lot of people who are paying right, you all right. every month. So what's going on with Where's your the business? Cash going? Yeah, right. that you're not able to make money. Burning. Yeah, I mean, again, I think a um, hundred million suggests maybe dominance in that space, but I don't think when you look at the music consumption value chain, I don't necessarily think that the most valuable part of that music. I wouldn't. I would not make the argument that long term it'll be with Spotify. Let's move on to Restaurant Brands International, which is the parent company of Burger King, Popeyes, and Tim Hortons. First quarter, I mean, it wasn't terrible, but it certainly wasn't great. Burger King's same store sales were just over two percent. That was the highlight. That's right. <laughs> right. I mean, if that was the low, I'd, I'd think that was okay. But I mean, what's going on with this company right now? I think the really interesting story here is with Tim Hortons. So their same store sales declined um, 0.6%, which is sort of a continued decline. And I would say it's a really moderated decline. You know, it's not something, um, it's not falling off cliff, but it's definitely a negative trend. And I think, you know, management is talking a lot that they've opened their first three Tim Hortons in China. Um, We've seen Starbucks really look at China for growth for coffee for the past three to five-ish years. And then we've also seen Luckin Coffee, which is a um, a Chinese coffee company, filed their IPO or S1 to go public later this year. So it's really um, a hotbed for coffee, I would say. So the decline, although again, they just opened three stores, it's not necessarily indicative that like it's going to fail. I just think it's um, maybe not the trend you want to see as you expand in a hot space. So, one of the things I saw from the conference call was uh, the uh, someone on the leadership team, I think it was the CEO, talking about uh, weather being a factor in Canada, because overwhelmingly, right. the, that's where Tim Hortons is located. And, you know, I think he even said something in effect of, I hate to use weather as an excuse, but... And I, I, that's always fair to me when it comes to restaurants, because it's not... Cars, you know, it's not. Right. It's right. not. It's like, well, you didn't. You didn't buy a car last week because the weather was bad. You're probably going to go buy it next week. Whereas, those are just lost sales for any restaurant uh, chain. Right. You're not out and about. You're not stopping by, especially with coffee. It's really a convenience factor, location based. Right. And if the weather's bad, I'm not going back next week, and I'm buying double the amount of coffee. Right. right. Um, the one thing I think that'll be interesting to watch with Tim Hortons was um, a stat I saw that. Um, half of their transactions involve their loyalty program. And all I could think as a Starbucks shareholder was, what are you doing with your loyalty program that it's going that well? I mean, that's that's right. impressive that they are doing that. Right. Um, so I don't know if they are particularly great at their loyalty program, and Starbucks is particularly terrible at theirs. Um, but that's if. If that's something that they can sustain as they continue to open locations around right. the world, that bodes well for QSR. I would agree with that, yes. Um, Alphabet's going to report after the closing bell. Um, what are you going to be watching? Um, because I, I I was reading some stuff this morning, and it, and it seems like 
uh, on the surface anyway, no one is expecting anything dramatic out of this uh, earnings report. What are you going to be looking for? Um, I think just putting it into context a little bit. So tech stocks in general have had a very positive year. Um, if you remember, there we saw a little bit of a market contraction back in December, and year to date, tech stocks are up 26 percent, give or take a little bit. Um, Google, as it its own equity is up 22.3% for the year. So, I mean, I feel like there's a lot of very high expectations in here, particularly on that revenue number. People are looking for about 37.32 billion, so up 20% over last year. Um, I think the potential for maybe a little bit of a wiggle or something maybe a little bit dramatic will be in that top line because you have seen increased competition, notably Amazon's advertising business. Um, and then because of that, Apple or Alphabet has sort of shifted. So they're looking at more of their cloud architecture products, YouTube, hardware, and all of these things have lower margins. Um, so I think maybe that leaves a little bit of room for disappointment at such a high valuation that it is as it stands. All right. Well, we'll find out in about well four hours from now. Abby Mallon, thanks for being here. Thanks for having me. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against, so don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. That's going to do it for this edition of Market Foolery. The show is mixed by Dan Boyd. I'm Chris Hill. Thanks for listening. We'll see you tomorrow.